Welcome to the next mile. Today's episode A Ray of Hope. Those of you who know me, you know my greatest pet peeves are the state of our roads. Cars and the interstate system made America great, and not adapting quickly to a changing world will leave what was once a proud accomplishment in business and public works projects untapped. Ali Kelly from The Ray understands the inefficiencies and pollution they create, from their hidden costs to how many deaths their operation is responsible for. Allie and the Ray are taking the jackhammer to the highways, not literally, and trying to solve that problem. Hi, I'm Allie Kelly. I'm executive director of the Ray. The Ray is a nonprofit foundation, and we work with partners to demonstrate and facilitate advanced mobility and all the technology transformations that go along with advanced mobility. We also have an 18-mile stretch of interstate in Georgia on I-85, south of the airport. And we use that 18-mile stretch of interstate with Georgia DOT and with our partners at FHWA to give technology and innovations in transportation, the opportunity to perform and succeed and to have the space to breathe in a public environment. And those technologies that succeed, we try to help them grow wings and scale to other states and other parts of the world. One of my favorite things about the Ray is that they're forming a sandbox for innovation here in the state of Georgia. They have a ton of projects going on right now, all forwarding the progression of autonomous technology and safer driving conditions as a result. One of the projects they're presently working on is altering some of the already existing infrastructures to make electric vehicles accessible and usable for long-distance travel. Specifically, they're making sure there are new ways of distributing EV charging technologies. The potential number of projects to work on and new technologies to tackle in this industry seems endless. This nonprofit organization plays a major role in this industry. I had to ask, where did it come from? How did the Ray come to be? The Ray plays a crucial role in innovative technology in Georgia today. The Ray is a reference to Ray Anderson, who is from West Point, Georgia. With his career, he built a carpet empire in LaGrange, called Interface. Even in this studio today, I'm walking on Ray Anderson's company's floors. His flooring is completely recyclable and environmentally mindful. We made Carpet, a petroleum-intensive company, which we eventually operated in such a way as to take from the earth only what can be renewed by the earth naturally and rapidly, not another fresh drop of oil. Take nothing, do no harm. 
So in the 70s, Ray started interfacing LaGrange with his entire family's life savings, put everything on the line, and over 20 years grew it into a billion dollar company. It is the largest manufacturing and distributor of modular carpet, active in over 100 countries worldwide. And in the 1990s, at the pinnacle of his competitive success and financial success growing Interface into the dominant force in carpeting and flooring worldwide. Um, Ray had an epiphany that he was taking virgin natural resources, primarily petroleum, to make a product that had a lifespan of maybe a decade, two decades, and then that product went into the landfill where it persisted for hundreds of years and he felt that he had a moral obligation to future generations to close the loop. So he committed in the mid-1990s, 1994, before anyone was really thinking about sustainability in the corporate world or in the industrial sector, he committed to recycling 100% of his old carpet into new carpet. The company still dives into landfills and dumpsters today and will reclaim any company's carpet and they'll make new carpet out of it. He also committed that the company would go zero carbon by 2020. That was his goal was mission zero by 2020. He didn't want to use another drop of petroleum in his product by recycling. And the company also has bold goals around wastewater reuse, around renewable clean energy, and the way that their factories operate. They want their factories to make natural resources cleaner, not to foul natural resources. So it's a project called factories to forests. So all of those goals that Ray Anderson set in the 1990s, the company has announced that they have met. What I didn't understand was how Ray Anderson, the founder of a carpet company, could possibly be connected to the Ray, a road used for innovative travel advancements. So when he passed away in 2011, and really we were mourning him around the world, two surviving daughters realized that he had left the majority of his personal wealth to a family foundation. Ray left the responsibility and the vision for that foundation to his daughters, Marianne and Harriet. He didn't leave them any specific instructions though on how he wanted the endowment to be stewarded over time. And so between 2011 and 2014, his family, led by his two daughters, were really trying to um, chart the path for this large family foundation. And in the course of that work, Harriet worked with the state legislature in Georgia and Georgia Governor Nathan Deal to name a stretch of interstate fittingly between West Point and LaGrange as the Ray C. Anderson Memorial Highway. That is the genesis and the origin of the Ray because the day that Governor Deal signed the House resolution naming the area between exit two and exit 18 of the interstate as the Ray C. Anderson Memorial Highway, Harriet went home to LaGrange and had a celebratory beverage with her husband 
and they clinked glasses and said cheers. And immediately Harriet looked at her husband, Phil, and said, oh gosh, I've just put the name of the greenest industrialist of the century on a dirty highway. And her husband said, a dirty highway? Harriet, what are you talking about? And she said, well, Phil, think about it. There's dead deer and trash all over the side of the highway. The vehicles are emitting air pollution that are causing kids to get asthma and it's contributing to global warming. The road is made out of tar and petroleum. There's rolled up tires on the side of the road. People are dying every year in accidents. What's sustainable about that highway that has my dad's name on it? And so that epiphany of her own, which is so similar to what her dad, Ray Anderson, had gone through in the 1990s, charted a path for Harriet and the foundation to ask the question, what is a sustainable highway? And how could a highway become regenerative? Just like Interface has shown how industrial companies engaged in manufacturing can regenerate the environment. The Ray is making space for new technological developments. They have so many impressive and potentially world-changing projects going on right now. Bioswales, wattways, solar roads, EV charging, live tire pressure tests, car-to-car communication, smart road dots. What is most important for this space is the ability to fund projects that are in a proving period. Not every single one is going to work at peak efficiency, but if intrepid pioneers aren't making sure we have places to test them, then we'll never know. I asked Allie what some of her favorites were and why they are so special to her. Ultimately, the Ray is about better outcomes in transportation. This is one sector in our country and in our world where you don't see a lot of rapid advancement of technology and innovation. You don't see a lot of turnover in best practices, even though we are creating technology that would lead us in a new direction. We continue to do the same old thing in transportation. And so our goal is to use philanthropy to facilitate change and to facilitate technology to pierce the transportation sector, to give Georgia DOT and our partners in the federal government the ability to pursue new technologies and new innovations to help mitigate the risks, to figure out how to finance them to figure out how to install them or execute them well, and then to tell the story so that those technologies have the opportunity to scale in the transportation sector. One of our goals is to reduce waste and increase productivity. And there's a lot of wasted space and a lot of wasted opportunity in transportation. And by that, I mean, we have a lot of assets that are only used for one thing. They're single-use assets. And so when that use is not at hand, they're dormant, right? They're not doing much. So one example of that is the acres and acres of land on either side of the interstate system, which is you know, known as the right-of-way. Engineers call it the right-of-way or the ROW. Right now, they're a cost center. DOTs and partners in federal government have to mow. 
They have to make sure that there's grass or something growing on the side of the highway, that those are important areas for stormwater management and all of the pollution that's coming off of the road surface. So we need to preserve some space there for people to pull over and address whatever issue is causing them to be in distress. But that area that we preserve, there's so much more beyond that that we could be utilizing for things like renewable energy generation. And so we have a megawatt of solar going into the side of the interstate this year with Georgia Power. Basically, over the next few months, we're going to become the third state to demonstrate that you can use that acreage on the side of the road as an area to build wind farms and solar farms. And what happens is on day one, the DOT benefits because they're no longer mowing that area. They're no longer worried about whether or not something is growing or if it's eroded by the water that's coming off the surface of the road when it rains, those become the responsibilities and the concerns of the utility as they're managing that area for a solar farm. Ours will generate a megawatt of solar for the grid. It'll be 2,600 or so high-efficiency solar panels. The utility has agreed to plant the entire area, four and a half acres, with native pollinator plants. So these are plants that are native to Georgia, or if they're not native, they're in, they're not invasive. They're known to play well with others it's in our kudzu. area. Right. right. It's not kudzu, it's not Johnson grass. You know, so these are either non-invasive, non-natives, or native plants that flower and provide food and habitat for bees for butterflies and for some birds that pollinate our food system. So we will take four and a half acres of land that was a cost center and a burden for Georgia DOT and was otherwise a single-use dormant asset, and we'll turn it into a clean energy power plant 40 feet from the edge of the interstate pavement. That will also be providing habitat and food for 35 years for the birds and the bugs that pollinate our food system. It will become a triple-use asset instead of a single-use asset. Squeezing value out of existing infrastructure doesn't just take ingenuity. The Ray has a model they use to approach each new project they take on. They bring together federal and local governments and companies like Georgia Power. For the Ray, This model has been successful in taking experimental risks in the name of innovation. It's called the four P's. And despite the hundreds of flowers they're going to plant, one of the P's is not pollinator. What the four P's are is public-private philanthropic partnership. So we took the P3 model and added philanthropy to it. What that enables us to do as philanthropy is that we go out and we spend our time and resources finding the kinds of technologies that are safe, that are ready for prime time, they're developed enough to come into an operating high-speed interstate environment. They meet all of our criteria around zero carbon, zero deaths, zero waste, but they also meet the needs and the criteria for our partners in at DOT, so they solve a problem for DOT. And one example of how this has, has, has worked is that we went out and we found this idea of roadway surfaces that could generate solar energy when a vehicle was not on that road surface at that moment. 
Right now, our roads are dumb. Mm -hmm. There's no technology that makes them smart or communicative in the current road that we pave. In fact, we're paving the same road from the 1960s. And on the interstate system, because we're clearing all of this acreage on either side of the road, the road surface ends up being completely exposed to the sun. So there's an opportunity to make the road smart, to make it communicate, and to make it produce clean energy. And as a result of the Ray putting our resources and our staff time into it, we became the first pilot in the world of the solar road product called Wattway, produced by a French company called Colos. We were their first pilot outside of the country of France. They now have pilots in you know, Canada and in Japan, all over the world, but we were the first overseas, outside of their home country pilot that they paved with solar panels in the world because of what we were able to facilitate and enable through the P4 model. And in turn, um, we introduced the idea to Georgia DOT. We made sure that this was a safe driving surface, that we could find the right location for the pilot that would be safe, that would be productive. And as a result, Georgia DOT actually figured out how to permit the solar road, even though there was it was the first in the United States. So we actually make Georgia DOT's operations greener from an energy standpoint because the road is paved with solar panels and generates green energy during the day when it's not being covered by a passing car or truck. Watway is one of the more intriguing projects that the Ray is working on. Essentially, these traditional silicone solar cells are cradled in a protective structure that sticks right to the road, sort of like a piece of armor. They don't crack underneath the pressure of freight vehicles. It's just a topping that gives it additional functionality. In other words, instead of completely reinventing the infrastructure to accommodate EVs and AVs, the Ray found a way to make our dumb roads smart roads. We'll get more into that in a bit. Staying true to the legacy of Ray C. Anderson, there's a road that even runs parallel to the Ray called the Tom Hall Parkway. That's made out of recycled materials. It was recently paved by Troop County using an asphalt mix that includes 10% of the binder as rubber from scrap tires. And so as you drive the road called Tom Hall Parkway, which is parallel to the Ray, I want you to think about how quiet that road is and how the road feels different because of the scrap tire rubber that is incorporated into the binder. This is another one of those innovations in road building that Ray Anderson would call so right, so smart. It's totally low-hanging fruit. Every American generates a scrap tire every year, so it's millions of scrap tires in the state of Georgia are generated every year. A lot of them are thrown into illegal dumps. Those illegal dumps can breed mosquitoes during the spring, summer, and fall months, and those mosquitoes can spread dangerous diseases like Zika. Also, when those dumps catch fire, they burn very hot. They're very dangerous for first responders to deal with. So scrap tire dumps are a scourge on mm -hmm. communities from a community health and a community safety perspective. And we can quite literally clean up those dumps and recycle the rubber from those scrap tires directly into a road pavement surface that is so much quieter. It allows you to 
utilize the road for up to twice as long. So if you go with the 20% higher content rubber, you can have 2x life. Instead of eight years, you can have 16 years or more of a lifespan with less cracking during the experience during the life of that road, which means that you have to have fewer opportunities where you have to send humans out to fill those cracks, which is a very dangerous activity yeah. for our DOT employees. And it's quieter. And when you use rubber as a binder, you can use loose aggregate mixes that help water to seep through the road. It's not really porous necessarily, but there are voids in loose aggregate roads where the water can trickle into the voids off the surface, which means that you have less hydroplaning from water pooling on the mm -hmm. surface and you have less splashback. So rubber unlocks all of those benefits in a road, and we get the rubber from cleaning up scrap tire dumps out of communities. It's a win-win-win-win-win-win. I was gonna say, there's no one that loses in that equation. This is a really important step in the right direction. It's staggering when you take a step back. Cars have pushed us so far ahead, but at what cost? And now, a tale of time travel to terrible transportation troubles. As we look ahead, it's always great to look at the past and see where we've made mistakes. And today we're going to be digging into something called red flag traffic laws. Terrible idea. In the United Kingdom, one of these laws was called the Locomotive Act of 1865, also known as the Red Flag Act. Part of this law said the following. Firstly, at least three persons shall be employed to drive or conduct such locomotive. Secondly, one of such persons, while any locomotive is in motion, shall precede the locomotive on foot by not less than 60 yards, and shall carry a red flag constantly displayed, and shall warn the riders and drivers of horses of the approach of such locomotives, and shall signal the driver thereof when it shall be necessary to stop, and shall assist horses and carriages drawn by horses passing the same. Fortunately, that was repealed a short 31 years later. But maybe there's a piece of brilliance in that that we can pull into today's transportation woes. Maybe we're at a point where we can flip the infrastructure landscape upside down. Cars don't deserve to take first place everywhere we go. If we take an approach that's a little more thoughtful, maybe we can put people that are walking and biking first and put cars second. Head over to our blog, beamimagination.com slash the ray. From there, you'll find notes from today's episode and some discussion around laws that will help put drivers second behind people that are walking and biking. Back to the show. Some of the costs of highways and cars becoming ubiquitous in the last century have been disastrous. The recycled materials that are used to build roads like the one parallel to the Ray are helping keep our roads safe by combating hydroplaning and taking away some of the environmental stress that road noise creates. But the Ray has a lot more in the works to really help keep people safe while traveling. After all, as much as I love the environment, all of the improvement I'd like to see around it is making the lives of humans healthier, happier, and more productive. We're losing um, nearly 40,000 Americans every year. And that becomes even more staggering when you understand that aviation, there were zero deaths 
last year in aviation. So it must be true that you can have a zero death transportation environment. If you can do it at 800 miles per hour, 35,000 feet in the air, certainly we can figure out how to go zero deaths on our surface transportation system. And so that is the priority of the Ray. As you just said, what's the point of hugging trees if you can't save human life? Sustaining and saving human life is the ultimate in sustainability. So some of the things that we're working on, well, Ray Anderson never forgot to look for the low-hanging fruit. And so the low-hanging fruit in terms of life safety and surface transportation is tire maintenance. And this is obvious when you drive on the interstate and look at all the rolled up tire shreds on the sides of the road or sometimes in the middle of the road. It's clear that freight vehicles and passenger vehicles are having major issues with tire maintenance. We can actually attack environmental issues, public health issues, we can save lives, and we can reduce the waste of precious resources like gas and oil by paying a little bit more attention to our tires. And we figured out how to do that conveniently where the driver doesn't really have to get out of the car and doesn't have to get dirty. Every time I have a conversation with someone who's seriously disrupting life and technology as we know it, I always ask them, what will the next five years look like with this technology? So no one has a crystal ball. We're all operating with pieces of information that trickle down from companies that are creating the technology, that are creating the artificial intelligence and the machine learning, and that are writing the algorithms and the code. (laughs) However, it's happening at a rate and a pace faster than we're even modeling. So some of the information that we believe is relevant and probably pretty close to accurate. These are models that show that we'll have some kind of system that permits, some kind of federal permissiveness of autonomous vehicles in the early 2020s, 2021, 2022, 2023. That actually tracks really well with what we're hearing from the automobile OEMs of the introduction of connected vehicles. In 2018, Cadillac produced the first connected vehicles. In 2019 and 2020, we're gonna see Volvo, VW, and Toyota, and Toyota Lexus begin to turn over their vehicles into connected. Um, We know that Ford is looking at connected vehicles that utilize cellular technology instead of radio technology for communicating these data packets that will connect the cars and the trucks. And the cellular technology is kind of in a parallel but a different timeline. Um, Pretty much by 2023, 2025, we're going to see hundreds of thousands of connected vehicles on the road. And those connected vehicles are going to have advanced systems that begin to look a lot like autonomy as well. And so these are all kind of running in parallel, right? Autonomous vehicles that are being developed by companies like Waymo and Drive AI are running in parallel with existing vehicle types from existing automobile OEMs that are creating connected vehicles. And there's a convergence of those technologies because you can't really 
drive an autonomous vehicle without it being connected to existing data streams because there's only so much data and value that you can derive from downloaded maps. There's a lot that happens during a route that autonomous vehicles will need that information. They'll need that connected environment. So, you know, by 2023, 2025, you'll have the permissiveness and you'll have the technology development where these connected vehicles and autonomous vehicles will start to permeate into our American fleet. Ali began mentioning the importance of connectivity with autonomous vehicles. As she said, You can't drive an autonomous vehicle without it being connected to so much data. That's why the Ray is working on a product that will continue to help with that connectivity and information sharing, ensuring an even safer driving experience. You guys are rolling out a V2X and Ford has one way of doing it. Other companies are looking at it. You guys are also investing in something called the Smart Stud, which is you guys have your own product. We do. That's pretty cool. One of the unexpected things about Beret, you know, we're only four years old. We really didn't think we were going to hold intellectual property around a new piece of technology. But here we are with a road dot prototype. Basically, it will enable the road to know itself and to tell other people about what it's experiencing. You know, this connected car technology allows the car to tell others about itself and its experience. What happens if you complete the story, if you tell the other, if if you allow the road to tell its side of the story too? And what does that complete story look like? You have the car talking about its experience and the road being able to talk about its own experience. So these dots replace the existing plastic reflector dots They're solar powered, so there's a a solar cell on top, a battery system that enables it to function over a number of days. Um, There's an LED light that is a white light, but it's tunable to any color that Mm -hmm. you like. has a chipset that allows you to tune it to any color in the spectrum. The unit is the same size as the existing reflector dots, and it includes a small number of sensors that enable the the dot to know if there's a car wreck that has just occurred. It enables the road to know if someone is weaving in and out of a lane because they're in distress or maybe they're inebriated or they're um, texting or they're on drugs, but they're causing a dangerous situation by their weaving. Mm-hmm. It allows the road to know if a car is following another car too closely It enables the road to know if there's ice buildup or if there are conditions that adversely affect visibility like fog or heavy rain. So the road begins to know all of this stuff thanks to the sensor packet that's included in it. It also has the ability to communicate just like a connected car. So that information being collected by the sensors on the road surface, that information can go to smart city system to a Vita X system for connected cars, and it can be added to the information that's being collected from connected cars and then other endpoints like weather stations or um, traffic cameras. So the road starts to tell others what it's going through, (laughs) what its status is, and then the road can actually use its light LED light system to create 
warnings and communication via color to drivers on the road surface. So if the road through these dots understands that an accident just occurred, then it can light up amber or red for miles ahead of that accident to slow down traffic coming into that accident area that just occurred so that you prevent people from hitting um, and causing other accidents hitting each other right before the main accident. And it's usually those second, third, fourth line accidents that happen as the pileup of traffic occurs. Mm -hmm. Because of the original accident, it's usually the second, third, the fourth accidents that are more dangerous because you've got people piling up behind an accident. That's a solution that fits the standard form factor we have today, but it provides something that classic car drivers, let's call them, and it's giving a tool for autonomous vehicles. It's communicating with the cars of the future while still giving a signal to people that have to operate on the roads today as we transition. Yeah, this is the great equalizer. Because it's communicating via color, the computer vision systems of autonomous vehicles can read the warnings, as can the classic car driver, you know, the Ford Taurus from the 1980s that's still on the road with no smarts. Everything that the Ray and its partners are working on is all tangible and very close to being implemented into the average person who travels in a vehicle's life. So I wanted to make sure to ask Ali what kinds of conversations were going on with policymakers today in relation to some of the Ray's technologies. The most basic level, everything that we do on the Ray can be copied. You know, we're a nonprofit foundation, so we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to protect anything other than the intellectual property around our smart road dot. Right. So everything that we do is formatted and standardized in a way that other states can pick it up. And in fact, you know, Colorado is scaling the wheelwright technology right now. We expect it will also scale in other parts of the Western U.S., like Washington, Arizona, Nevada. So we've seen that technologies that are demonstrated in a living laboratory like the Ray, if they're done in a manner that is standardized and replicable, then they do have the ability to scale and they will scale in other parts of the state. So that's kind of the basis from which we operate. It's like we don't build unicorns on the ray. We want things that other people can copy. And in the near future, we've talked about EV charging lanes that will go from a test track in Utah that will begin to, you know, pilot in different parts of the country and hopefully one day in or around the ray. We can't charge a fee for charging in a your vehicle in an EV charging lane until we change the U.S. code. The U.S. law has to modernize in order to allow for advancements in transportation and modern mobility. Convincing U.S. lawmakers is one hurdle. Another hurdle is convincing the average driver that autonomous vehicles are safe, that they're actually safer than human-driven vehicles. When we talk about autonomous vehicles and driverless, you know, you typically hear... Three responses. Number one, I can't wait. I'm going to watch a movie or I'm going to get work done. Number two is I love to drive and I'll never give it up. You can pry the steering wheel from my cold, dead hands. Yeah. (laughs) And the number three response is I don't believe that it will ever be safe. 
and there's no way I would try it. There's no way I'd put myself at risk. Those are three common responses in a vacuum because the technology is only beginning to permeate the driving public. The driver, no pun intended, will be safety. And it will happen in stages. You know, right now we have, you know, autonomy levels one, two, somewhat three. We'll continue to stage into four and five. And as I said, the carrot, what people are going to be thinking about most as we move into higher levels of autonomy is the crash reduction possibilities. Even the most conservative highway safety organizations anticipate at least a 40% reduction in advanced mobility technologies as they're rolled out. So your calculus, my calculus, the average driver's calculus is going to be, you know, am I able to afford a higher level of safety for myself, my family, my business colleagues, my goods and services, right? Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, there's the convenience factor, right? Of being able to engage in other activity while you're being safely delivered to your destination. That kind of follows the first consideration, which is I'm gonna be safer. My passengers, my family's gonna be safer. The continued development and implementation of autonomous vehicles will drastically change the world, the way we move around and jobs. The Bureau of Labor Statistics ties about 5.5 million jobs directly to driving, and that doesn't even take into account the peripheral businesses, like oil chain shops and car rental shops. So, how do we expand job opportunities? Will we become an America that doesn't need a 40-hour work week? I asked Ali what part of the social equation she is interested in as time advances. Well, all of them, you know, our primary goal is to assist, facilitate, motivate, all of that, you know, risk mitigation for technology to appear in the transportation sector so that it can have an opportunity to scale so that drivers can start to see that these things are real and happening and happening quickly. Some of what we're doing cannot be scaled without policy changes and without some social change. So we're involved and interested in, you know, facilitating the removal of those artificial barriers, whether it's artificial policy barriers and also facilitating the general driving public to understand, accept, and adopt these technologies because they're going to save lives, because they're going to help us to address global warming by, you know, drastically reducing transportation carbon. So we're interested in in having a voice and being involved in all of that. Um, More than anything, we're interested in arguing productively that infrastructure can be smart, that we can do more with what we have, and that we can change the way that we build. We have to change the way that we build because we don't have the luxury of endless capital to spend on infrastructure and endless natural resources to spend on infrastructure like we did 50 or 60 years ago. We have to be better about how we build and what we build 
and technology enables us to do that. So that infrastructure, smart infrastructure conversation, I think is where we're most effective as the Ray, because honestly, you know, the car companies are building with really low expectations for the road. A big thank you to Allie for coming on the show and telling us all about the Ray and how it's tangibly changing the world for the better. 